Hello, you're with Love of Learning, a podcast focused on transforming the world through education and self-education. My name is Diane Stanchev and I'm your host. The current health systems that we have operating on the mass scale are primarily focused on symptom treatment instead of the root cause for diseases. Prevention is not a usual topic in the doctor's office. Vaccines are multiplying, but our kids' health is declining. Our food has become toxic and our water is questionable. The air has been polluted and nature has been distanced from our city lives. What is the way out of this health madness? How can we serve our families and communities for an optimal health transformation? Today, I'm honored to have Dr. Stanton Holm with us, health freedom activist, chiropractor, and a father who works passionately to promote better health for our families. You can hear him on his podcast, Future Generations. And thank you for your wonderful service to all families and health. Thank you, Dan. I really appreciate being here. Thank you. You are an activist for people taking full responsibilities of their health. I'm also following this path for the last 10 years when doctors couldn't find the root cause of my mysterious skin problems. Mm. What does it mean to take ownership of our health and what are the first steps to do that? You know, that's a really uh, interesting question. I, I, it takes me back to like even my first year of practice. And I started to realize this after I got out of the military. And when I was in the military and getting um, out processed, I received a clean bill of health. All of the medical doctors from ophthalmology, optometry, neurology, every, every step, they said that I was as healthy as, as possible. And then when I moved to San Diego, which is where I live now, my my brother, who was only in his second year of chiropractic practice, looked at me and he almost like paused for a minute and said, he actually asked me if I was okay. And I was like, what are you talking about? I didn't really understand that the lens that he was looking through was vastly different than what, you know, the best of military medicine was assessing me with, right? And so in one lens, you can look through and say, hey, this person is extremely healthy. And through one another lens, and I will say just a, a young lens at the time for my brother, he could see some challenges that I could work with. And so in my first year of practice, one of the things that I started to realize is that I can't eat for my patients. I can't exercise for them. I can't think for them. I can't do a lot of the things that are absolutely essential for the body to express well-being. All of that resides in the individual. And so what we know today is that this is statistics in the United States and granted, you know, it's, it's, I've been to the world health organization and they talk about non-communicable diseases, which a lot of people are talking about with um, COVID-19 pandemic and everything. they're calling it comorbidities that 80% of our population in the United States has at least one comorbidity, one chronic illness. In the United States, 55% has at least two, and 20% of the population has at least three. And so what we know about these non-communicable diseases, meaning, meaning the ones that are not spread through viruses or bacteria or any sort of vector like that, is that they're all based on lifestyle. And in chiropractic, the way that we look at lifestyle, we look at how you eat, how you move, and how you think. That's how we make it as simple as possible. And what we know for a fact is that I, as a doctor, all I can do is teach people how to do these better and help their body heal itself as best as it can. So when you ask questions about, you know, personal responsibility, 
like our conventional healthcare system across the globe is based on a diagnosis treatment perspective, which is what is the problem? And typically what drug or what surgical procedure are we gonna recommend for you? And in the end, there, there's virtually zero responsibility. It never really goes back to the patient. And I'll, I'll say this in another way, where in 11 years of practice, I've had several patients that have ended up with cancer at some point, right? And I have a patient who I will remember to the day that I die because she's had four pregnancies through our practice. We have a very pregnancy focused practice. And she had, she was diagnosed with cancer at one point and she's a nurse. And so when she went to um, do some of the conventional consultations and chemotherapy, she asked the nurse, one of the nurses providing her care. So she's a nurse and she's asking the nurse, does it matter, you know, what nutrition I eat during this therapy? And they said, no, there's, there's no, there's, it doesn't matter at all. It doesn't matter at all what you eat during chemotherapy, either way, it's going to work just as good. And that to me, to her actually was such a light bulb moment because she was trained in Western medicine. She's worked in, you know, some of the best hospitals here in San Diego, but when she was faced with her own health challenge, they said nutrition has no effect, which clearly today we know that our food can lead to cancer causing, you know, issues or can actually help your body heal from that too. And so I hope I answered your question. I think. Yes, I, I totally agree with you because in my research, I found out that true nutrition and true emotion and the adrenal gland yes. with the bad emotions, you, you put a lot of toxins in your body, which are stuck and waiting for somewhere to you just destroy an organ or to, to, to create cancer. And uh, by changing nutrition, uh, people can significantly change their mind as well. <laughs> I, I would say that if you look at those three kind of realms, how you eat, how you move, how you think, if you look at all the peer-reviewed research today, it is very clear today that each of those can have an interplay on each other, right? So if you have chronic problems with either not exercising or exercising in a poor way, it could create inflammatory challenges that deficiencies in certain things that food can help correct. But I would say that it's really important to look at what that lifestyle factor is. Usually it's going to be in two realms. One is going to be something that you are toxic with, right? So with the movement, right? Some people don't realize that sitting all day is toxic to their body. They're calling sitting the new smoking because of how much, how much, how many problems it creates with our posture and scar tissue, blood sugar changes, inflammatory issues. And then it's either going to be something that you're deficient in, meaning the human body was meant to move. It's meant to be as it's meant to be agile. It's meant to be very, um, as a, the only two footed species on the planet, it's meant to be very, very, um, agile. And if we don't have good mobility, then we have a deficiency in movement, which can lead to certain challenges down the road too. Thank you. Thanks. And how do you explain, uh, in, in the States to have 80% one chronic disease, 50% mm-hmm. two and, and even children to have chronic diseases. How do you explain that? It's- in, in, uh, the year 2011, uh, it was published that 
one in two children now has, has at least one chronic illness today. And so when you're asking me, how do I, how do I explain it? Or so, so here's how I won't ever explain it, right? Here's how conventional medicine typically explains it. They usually just say, Hey, you know what? You have these bad genes and because of these bad genes, you have this illness, right? And that held valuable, right? That was kind of valuable for some people when I was a teenager, when I was a teenager and my grandparents at the family barbecue, you know, a family dinner or something, they would say, you know, my grandparents would say, well, I have arthritis, I have a kidney issue. And they would all talk about the drugs that they were on, right? And then maybe 10 years later, my parents were talking about that. Right. And then if you fast forward 10 years later, that's when I about when I started practice. And then all my peers, like my patients coming in 30s, 40 years old, they have chronic problems. Right. And then now I'm 10 years in practice and half the children, according to the research, have chronic illness. And what I know for a fact is that the best that Western medicine has at this stage is they typically just say, hey, your, your, your children are just genetically programmed for chronic illness. And, it, and to me at this stage, it just, it, it, it's so vastly different than what we know is natural and normal for children to express vibrant health, to be very connected with their bodies, to know in many respects, like how to, how to play with everything. And with one in two children, you know, with chronic problems today, I think saying that genes are the only issue absolves, they don't, we don't realize this today, but it absolves the child and the parent of that personal responsibility to do something about it. Right. right. And so I don't like to, um, I don't like to say that the genes are nothing. Right. But if you've listened to any work on epigenetics, my favorite mentor at this stage is Bruce Lipton. In my first semester of chiropractic school, instead of studying for my first semester finals, I read Bruce's book, Biology of Belief. And in that book, it lays out, it's not that the genes cause disease, and it's not that that theory is wrong, it's to say that theory is incomplete. And that epigenetics says that there is control above the genes. And what we know for a fact about what controls genes today, like there's three facts about genes. Number one is that they haven't changed in 10 to 40,000 years. This is unequivocal data today. And you can search PubMed. We know that for a fact that if there is change in our genes, if we had, let's see, as an analogy, right, if we had the human genome, and it was a stack of books, the height of say a skyscraper, right? Something very high, very tall building. The change in our genes in 10 to 40,000 years is only a couple paragraphs of all the words. And so today, what we know, fact number two, is that every cell in our body has the same genes. So if it's your eye, if it's your hair, if it's your skin, your muscle, your heart, your lungs, your kidney, all those genes, all those cells have the same genes. And what we know in a developing baby in utero, what happens is 
the baby like starts to change the way that the cells were, it's called cell differentiation. You know, the first, uh, first system that's developed in utero is the nervous system and then nerves and all these different kind of processes start to branch off and the cells differentiate based upon the environment and the, the part of the body that they're in. So now we know stem cell research today is if you want heart tissue, you will grow it in a heart medium, in a petri dish of heart you know, tissue, you could grow more cells. The fact number three is that genes can't turn themselves on or off by themselves. So a cancer gene, say you have a cancer gene, it won't turn itself on and it won't turn itself on off uh, spontaneously. What it needs is an environmental trigger, which they call the epigenome. The environmental trigger triggers the epigenome to turn on or off genes. And because of those three facts, what we know is that the environment, how we eat, how we move, how we think, all of the things in our environment, our cells, our nervous system perceives that environment and says, do I have all the things I need to express well-being? Or Am I toxic with things that could cause problems or am I deficient in things that I absolutely need? And if you're toxic or deficient, you will absolutely express poor health. And so at this stage today, like I said, the way that I would not explain it is that genes cause illness. The way that I would explain it is that genes are in the line of causality, but at the end of the day, it's the environment and our choices that tell our genes whether to express well-being or to express disease. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. So if you have decades of programming, if you have decades and decades and decades of programming our populace, that you've you've the genetic predisposition genetic predisposition for for diabetes. All you need is this metformin or this particular drug that helps with your diabetes. You will never actually like deeply change the way that you live. And in that, that's a pretty good business model for them, you know, in that yes, 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 if you get people on drugs for a lifetime, then that's generally that's good very say. profitable. Right? Yes, yes, yes. I, I yeah. think the same. Uh, so, so basically it's not the, the environment, the issue, it's more like how we perceive the environment and our emotions connected with this environment you know, around us. That, that's actually a really good point. You know, the data shows, I would say that it's both, right? I would say that we have, unless, I, I would say the ability to, how do I say this? I, would, I don't want to ever discount what you said. I think what you said is very powerful. The power of the mind and our perception of our environment is, is critical in whether or not we express health. But the environment itself is very, very important too, right? In that if you live in a world in the United States, every year there's more and more chemicals that go into the, the environment in the United States. I think today it's somewhere above 80,000 chemicals that we don't have a genetic adaptability to. And so when the level of toxicity continues to go up, in my mind, I, I believe that I can perceive, you know, I can change my mind to believe that it's not toxic, but I don't believe that's sustainable for most people. I think we have to really come to like some sort of reconciliation and say the level of toxicity is through the roof and we have to start the process of removing um, a lot of that toxicity too. So, uh, so one of your statements is that it is extremely hard to be healthy in this world 
What do, what do you mean with this and how anyone could start taking care of his or her health if they have not done so far? You know, I think in this moment, it's, it's very, this is a very relevant topic, right? Because we have a, um, a SARS-CoV-2 virus and we have a COVID-19 disease that um, the world is completely shut down with, right? Completely shut down. And in the beginning of the shutdown, some of my patients, they would be, you know, their neighbors and they're, they're trying to figure out, you know, on their phones, they're talking about what, what supplements do we need to order? Let's talk to Dr. Stan. And so I told them a whole host of different supplements that could help their immune system defend. And then they had a neighbor approach them say, Oh, what are you doing? I said, Oh, we're going to, we're going to order supplements to help our immune system. And, the, and this neighbor said, no supplement, no vitamin C, no, nothing is going to save you from this virus. Right. And the reason why that's so important is because the belief system, right? You're talking about beliefs and perceptions. There's two main belief systems that are completely, um, in my opinion, indoctrinating our future generations at this stage. Number one is what we covered, that genes cause illness. Number two is that germs also are 100% causal in illness and there's no defense, right? And so when I would say that when I say that it's incredibly hard to be healthy today, it's because everybody believes that it all comes down to genes, germs, and what you don't realize that the, the underlying message is, is pure chance. It's the luck of who your parents are and what genes you inherited. And it's, it's what germ, you know, what germ is in the environment today that we need to be afraid of, right? And we don't realize that it's whatever the news is telling us. It's whatever the media is actually telling us to be afraid of. In the United States, a couple years ago, it was Ebola. One year before that was measles. One year before that was flu. And we don't realize that many cases. Have you heard of Dr. Zach Bush? I haven't, no. So this is somebody, if you can get him, if you can get him on your podcast, he is absolutely, he is amazing. If you study his, his, his research, he's one of the most prolific and in my opinion, poetic medical doctors today. He was teaching a webinar on something called the virome, right? The virome is kind of like the microbiome, but it's viruses, right? And he was talking about in one gram of newborn feces, poop, right? In one gram, there is over 10 to the eight viruses in one gram of poop, right? So um, why that's so important, right? You have children, right? Yes, yes. Did they ever, you know, did you, did you ever have to clean a really messy diaper? Oh, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah. Like, like every day, right? daughter, like, <laughs> and so in one gram, there's 10 to the eight, a hundred million viruses in one gram of a baby's poop. And we, as parents are covered in it. They're covered in it. They eat it sometimes. Like the babies are just, you know, if, if it were only about one virus or one germ or one bug or one vector, then we would have epidemics every day just by changing diapers, right? And so we have a COVID-19 disease right now and in the United States, this is our data here in the United States, 
that if you're um, our age, right, generally any our age or younger, the survival rate is 99.998%, their survival rate, right? The World Health Organization says the infectious fatality rate right now is 0.13%. Like we're dealing with a very mild, very infectious in some respects, but very mild virus. But at the same time, we've convinced the public to shut down the global economy. In the United States, they're talking about um, Ticketmaster. Have you heard of Ticketmaster? Yes, yes. So yes. Ticketmaster, they sell concerts, concerts tickets, yep. and all these things, right? They just put out an article about a week ago that said they're going to have data that when you buy a concert ticket that they were going to verify that you have a COVID-19 vaccine prior to attending a concert or any event that you buy a ticket from Ticketmaster. And so the reason why I'm mentioning this, right, is the reason why we are so sick today is because we believe it's by pure chance. If you believe that it's germs, genes, or anything that just happens to you, then you don't believe that you actually have an ability to take personal responsibility and make the change. Chiropractors and some of my best mentors would always say, healthy by choice, not by chance. And I think if I would just say like, you know, in the United States, chiropractic is the largest natural health profession, licensed natural health profession. And we only to this day in the United States only take care of maybe 1.5% of the US population. We don't take care of a large portion. So when you look at 98.5%, they generally don't know that this is actually a factor. Right. So when I say that it's hard to be healthy, it's because it's all a mindset thing at this stage. If you believe that genes and germs cause illness and that it's all pure luck or chance, then you don't actually believe that your choices matter. But if you change that frame, even just a little bit, and you realize that our choices, how we eat, how we move, how we think, what technology we're exposed to, how our children are raised, what schooling environment that kids are grown at, growing up in and developing in, all of that has a factor in our total health and well-being, then what it actually allows you to do is take more responsibility. It allows you to actually just customize, and us as parents, right, like for my, for my daughter, we customize everything to what her body changes its expression of. If she, like she tells us very clearly, right? She tells us very clearly, eat the wrong thing. And then, you know, she doesn't poop for a day or yes. she, all of a sudden she's a little bit congested or phlegmy. And in the end, we're like, okay, let's not make that choice again. We don't need to necessarily do that, you know? And I think in the end, it becomes about choice. And for me, all I want is for my patients to understand that they have the absolute sovereignty to express healthy genes and to express disease. And they still have a choice, right? That's true. I really like what you're saying. So basically everything is, uh, the health is in our own control and in our own, own mind. So our mindset should be focused on learning how to be healthier instead of leaving it to our doctors who usually prescribe things for the symptoms and not the root cause. And what I've seen is why, well, I'm thinking why people when they age, they have more issues with health. And I think it's mainly because of the toxins they get in their body. 
their liver, their liver gets really, really toxic and toxic and yes. cannot absorb and process all the toxicity that's getting more and more with each year. And one of the ways I found uh, for healing, self-healing is uh, cleaning your, your diet of, uh, let's say, at least for a month and then go back to your normal diet. And there, there, are, there are ways to clean your, your liver. And liver is the key, I think. Liver is the key. You, you mean you've mentioned the adrenal glands, you've mentioned the liver. I mean, it's uh, when I was younger in practice, I would always tell patients, I would just say, hey, if you're in your 20s mm -hmm. and you've never done any cleanse, then it's time to do one, right? Like we don't know, we don't know health today because we don't know what it's like to actually eat pure, right? And so it doesn't, in my world, it doesn't matter what type of cleansing program that you do. But what matters to me is that for a certain period of time, say three to four weeks, that you're eating virtually perfectly. And when you eat perfectly and maybe add in some supplements or juices that help your body cleanse, what you realize is that very, maybe three or four days in, you feel sick. You feel like maybe headaches, mm -hmm. you're missing caffeine, you're missing alcohol, your body will go through a certain purging and a um, almost like it's uh, withdrawing from some, some of the toxins. But by that fourth or fifth day, you start to feel very clean. And then by that day 21, day 28, it, a lot of patients in my practice, they realize they're like, oh my goodness, like I didn't know that I could feel this good. And I always tell them, be wary of the post detox, retox, when you retoxify your body, what it should do is give you more data. So some people will have extreme sensitivity to gluten, some people is dairy, some people soy. In the United States, we have so many genetically modified crops that we just don't know how they affect us until we rid our body of them for a certain period of time. I, I, I love what you're saying, because once the body has a chance to reset, then it actually knows how good it could actually feel. Yeah. And then the clarity of your mind and thought is totally, totally different. Yeah. So if, if no one has tried cleansing or purification or removing uh, different strategies to remove the toxins of our body, like aluminum, mercury, it's a good, good place to start investigating do that. So you, you're saying that you're helping a lot of uh, women that are pregnant in your chiropractic and what exactly you do with them and how do they benefit it? It's like jujitsu. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, so, so pregnancy, and this is, I'm going to show you on video, but I'll explain it as well. Right. It's, it's very simple. Um, it's very common. And I don't know how the birthing um, processes in your country or in your, your part of the world is like, and I would, I would venture to guess that it's slightly better. In the United States, um, I believe in Europe, in some countries, midwives outnumber uh, obstetricians 10 to 1, right? There's more midwives than there are obstetricians in some parts of Europe. But in the United States, it's the opposite. It's 5 to 10 to 1 obstetricians to midwives. And so when we, we know, based on the data globally, that as the number and the ratio of obstetricians goes up, more uh, technology, more interventions, more recommendations for all sorts of different procedures. When midwives go up, mothers are allowed to kind of birth. They're allowed to, they're given a chance in more of a peaceful environment. Regardless, what we know is that 
the alignment and the mobility of the pelvis is highly involved in whether or not the birth will be more um, maybe painful. It might have maybe take more time. It maybe will lead to certain interventions in, in our, in our, in our country. And so that's one of the things that we specialize in, you know, like chiropractic care um, specifically is the Webster technique, right? And the Webster technique was developed by a, um, a pioneer chiropractor by the name of Dr. Larry Webster. And he founded an association called the International Chiropractic Pediatric Association, where that's where most of the certifications for whole family care come from. But we, in a very simplistic way, we analyze the pelvis and sometimes the pelvis is unlevel, right? Where one side is higher than the other. Sometimes uh, patients will present with a postured short, shorter leg and we'll see that there's a distortion in the pelvis. And when we know that the pelvis is the home for the baby, then it makes good sense that the alignment and the mobility of the pelvis would be primary in helping moms achieve as, as intervention-free, as, you know, comfortable as, you know, I don't ever want to say pain-free, me, you and I, right? We won't ever grow a human or birth a human inside of us, right? And so I'm humbled to the fact that I will never do it. But now after 11 years of clinical practice, what we know for certain is that if the pelvis and sacrum are allowed to be as balanced as possible, then the muscles and joints and structural tissue, but also the nerves and the circulation and the blood flow allow for um, something that we've seen in our practice is better uh, consistent, robust uterine contractions. Or we've seen moms say, you know what? My cervix, like my first baby, I got stuck at seven centimeters for, you know, a day, 24 hours. And this time it was so easy. Everything just went very nice and smooth. And so for us, it becomes very clear that when the pelvis is so stuck and rigid and out of alignment, then that can always affect the way and the efficiency. And we call it the efficiency and the effectiveness of birth. And so if we do the opposite and create more balance, then we see on, you know, as an outcome that moms generally have a much better experience. Okay, so basically there are some exercises they can do to improve. So, so chiropractic, I don't know how familiar you are with chiropractic care, but chiropractic is about, is actually using manual care to actually using our hands to help create better alignment. Um, adjustments are, um, actually applied with a very gentle and specific force to the body to allow for a lot of the physical alignment. But yes, in between visits, we give every single one of our patients exercises to help their body um, hold the adjustments and improve, you know, maybe get the most out of chiropractic care too. That sounds great. Sounds great. Uh, according to you, what are the best foods for nerve and brain development and how we should be feeding our children from young age? That's a, that's a, uh, you know, what's funny is it reminds me of a book. There's a book called um, In Defense of Food. It's written by a journalist, Michael Pollan. He's very famous. He's, he's, he's known very much globally, but he has a theme of this book and it just says, it's, it's, it's a few words. Number one is 
eat food, right? Eat food, don't eat fake food, eat actual real food, right? Eat food, not too much. So don't overeat, eat what the Japanese say, they say eat till you're about 75% full, right? In America, we eat till we're maybe 120%, 150% full, right? We overeat. And the last two words is mostly plants. So we know in the United States, we have a deficiency of eating fruits and vegetables and fresh actual produce. And so I'm not trying to skirt your question, but oftentimes we get caught up in what food is best for this system, right? What food is best for nerves? What food is best for liver? What food is best for adrenals? And what I'll tell you is that if you eat in alignment with those seven words, eat food, real food, whole foods, um, not too much, mostly plants, you will take in all the things that your body needs and your body can produce all of the biochem, all the biomechan biochemical products that would be good for every aspect. Your body will actually decide on its own what it will break down from which foods to help feed and nourish whatever system is, right? Now, with that said, I would say that some people we know for a fact that they need better support with neurology, right? And specifically with the nerves, I don't think there's any supplement better at this stage than some sort of omega-3 or omega-3 fatty acid. In the States, I think we tend to rely upon, um, I think cod liver oil is the best in my world. Like that's something that I recommend and cod liver oil tends to come with um, uh, EPA and DHA, the omega-3s, but it also comes with very naturally occurring vitamin A and vitamin D, which are often very deficient throughout the world. Um, I believe that all fats are beneficial and so, and, and this is very sacrilegious to a lot of the people who are maybe plant-based and things like that, but even saturated fats that come from animals, if they're pasture raised and they're raised humanely, they will have, isn't that interesting though? If animals are raised in a healthy environment, their protein and fat breakdown is actually more advantageous to the human species versus in the United States, if they're corn fed and they're given antibiotics and they're, they're packed in, you know, and they're not living in healthful environments, those fats can be very toxic for you. But coconut oil, olive oil, all the, all the plant-based oils tend to be very helpful as well, but avoiding, um, I would say classically across the world, avoiding omega-6 fatty acids that tend to be more inflammatory um, whether it's um, canola oil, vegetable, some of the vegetable oils that are corn oils, they tend to be inflammatory and can actually cause more neurodegeneration. There are some supplements in the United States that um, actually help build nerves. They're actually called neurotrophic factors. If your um, listeners were to listen or to actually just look for um, neurotrophin or neurotrophic factors that, that are supplements today, they would be able to find um, supplements that are very specific to building nerves. And so I hope that answered your question. Yes, yes. So you're saying neurotrophic factor, right? Neurotrophic. Trophic. Yes, I'm just writing it down for me to research as well. It sounds really interesting. Uh, so what, what do you think are the greatest benefits for um, a prenatal chiropractic visits? Uh, prenatal chiropractic visits? What are the... Yeah. This is... Um, this is um, I could do a whole interview on this. Okay. Um, Maybe two points. I say this. 
So two of my uh, episodes on my podcast um, talk about birth trauma, right? Birth trauma is, we call it, um, we call it the blind spot. Like the reason why I mentioned that is we don't realize that just being born is very traumatic to mom. We tend to have, you know, a more of a focus on how birth affects mothers. But when it comes to pediatric healthcare in the United States, when they look at how birth affects babies, they don't look at development, right? And so when I examine a newborn and my daughter was born right upstairs and she was born at home, very peaceful. Um, I examined her 10 minutes after she was born and the midwives and the doulas and our birth team were like looking at me, like, what are you doing? You know? And I was like, well, I'm checking my own daughter, you know, my daughter who was born peacefully at home had challenges that were affecting her health at 10 minutes old, right? And what I know is that if she were born in the hospital, in general, what they do is they just make sure that baby's gonna live. They do these tests that check reflexes, circulation, respiration, and they just make sure that baby's gonna live. Does a baby need to go to the NICU or can the baby go home, right? And chiropractic care in pregnancy, and this is something that my team, my staff, Um, We don't coach them on this, right? When we hire them, we give it maybe four to six weeks where they start to say, huh, like the babies that are being referred to us that were moms were not getting prenatal chiropractic care versus the babies that came through our practice and the moms were getting prenatal chiropractic care. They just start to say they're, they're, they're a little bit different. And we're like, what do you mean? They're like, well, they just seem more peaceful they seem more peaceful if mother was getting adjusted, right? And the reason why that is, is because in many cases, maybe interventions are a lot, are limited. There's not, you know, a lot of epidurals, there's not a lot of um, inductions, Pitocin and all the different induction measures. There's not a lot of forceps delivery or, you know, vacuum delivery. There's a lot less force applied to the baby, right? The other factor is, is that chiropractic care is all about the nervous system. If the mother's nervous system is like you're, like you were talking about earlier, is more stuck in the state of fight or flight, more stress, more survival mode, the adrenal glands are, are amplified, cortisone, adrenaline are very high, then that is the environment that baby is developing in, in utero, right? And so we can very uh, objectively help the mother's nervous system calm down through gentle and specific adjustments through chiropractic care. And so if the mother's nervous system is calm, more calm, and if the interventions and the trauma that affects baby at birth are limited or maybe even completely gone, like they're not a factor at all, then what happens is the baby is born in a very different state. It's born in a very different um and I'll tell you this, this is very, you know, clinical in my practice is that the babies that come in to our practice referred with, you name it, whether it's colic, constipation, 
reflux issues. They're not sleeping. They can't nurse. They can't, you know, breastfeed effectively. Um, maybe some are stuck, you know, in an angle angulated, they call it torticollis. Some babies will be stuck and then it starts to affect the shape of their cranium. Most of those babies at the root cause of what their issue is, is a over sympathetic drive, which is an over adrenal, over fight or flight state of the nervous system. And so I would say the biggest benefit is that we can affect those two things. We can affect the state of mom's nervous system and we can affect in many cases how much interventions and how much stress is applied to baby with the birthing experience. And then babies are born very differently. And when they are, I mean, that's the thing is I could tell you all day, but I like my staff, we, like we don't teach them this because we want them to experience it on their own where they know very differently that a baby who that's been through chiropractic care or their mother has been through chiropractic care and a baby that has not. Right. It, it sounds, it's a, it's a very important thing for each mother to go to chiropractic. I, I don't know why it's not mandatory in that case. You know, and, and I think it's, I think it's because we have, well, this is a longer story too. Right? Yes, yes, yes. I think in, we, we both know why. In the United States, there's something, and I would say globally, there, there is definitely um, medical and healthcare discrimination, right? In that, you know, chiropractic care was, um, well, I should say it this way, the American Medical Association, the AMA, they, in the mid and early 1900s, they had a strategy. They had a strategy um, to what they call contain and eliminate chiropractic care. And they had a whole committee, a whole committee and a commission on quackery, right? And they called homeopathy quackery, they called nutrition quackery, they called chiropractic. We were their main enemy at that stage. And so what they taught their new members and their doctors is that chiropractors were quacks, chiropractors were dangerous, chiropractors will kill your family, chiropractors are pseudoscientific, chiropractors were, they call it charlatans and, you know, like all these things that, that actually exist very much today. You, we hear about quacks and we hear about pseudoscientific medical procedures and it's always based upon and pointed at natural, natural means, right? It's asinine from their view to look at nutrition as being a factor in cancer, when in reality, the data is very clear that if you eat toxic food, that you're more likely to develop cancerous tissues in your body. But to us, you know, and, and if they need to call me a quack or pseudoscientific every day, it's okay. Because at the end of the day, 10 years of practice, my patients are much healthier than the average patient that's out there, right? It comes to, it comes to like a, a society wants to take the health freedom out of us. And uh, what is for you health freedom and hum, human freedom? Is our freedom actually under attack? Right. So there, there, this is not my data. This is, so in, in 1910, there was a report that came out. It's called the Flexner Report. These two brothers with the last name Flexner and their, their job, they were, they were actually hired by the Rockefellers. And they were actually, they were actually their, their mission was to go out into American society and audit all the medical teachings. And so what they did was they said, this medical school is bad, this medical school is bad. You know, and they, they basically ironed it down to one specific doctrine, 
which back then the Rockefellers knew that it was the booming chemical industry that they knew that they could through oil-based pharmaceuticals, through metal-based pharmaceuticals, that they could treat these diseases. And they started to basically make all of these other schools close. So homeopathy almost died completely in the United States because of the Flexner Report. In chiropractic, I mean, at this stage, there's still uh, in the United States, I think only 17 chiropractic schools. And I think globally, maybe there's under 40. There's not that many. And if you think about the medical providers out there, and medicine is massive at this stage, you know? And so societally in the United States, but also globally, we're completely indoctrinated into this belief system. And that was the intent from the very beginning. So in the last 110 years, they've been pretty successful at their, at their it venture. Looks, yeah. looks like it's working. It's working perfectly. In, a, in one of your podcasts, you're saying that you love deeply connect with children in your practice. How do you manage to create this connection and how to sustain it with the children in your practice and we are children at home? You know, I think all children, so uh, maybe this is more personal for me because when I was younger, my mom likes to tell the story that I was, I was almost mute for maybe up until I was six or seven years old. I didn't like to speak. And, I, and my cousin is four days older than me. And we go to the restaurant and we're ordering food. I'd always elbow her and tell her what I wanted and she would order for me. And this is, this is something that I know that I went through. And what I know about children is that children, like all of us, I would say all of us are still very much um, very tender children, even in adulthood. Um, we all want to be seen. And we all want to be heard. And we all want to be valued and actually, you know, seen for the unique individuals that we are. And I would say that I don't, I don't think there is a, um, I don't think there's a drug. I don't think there's a video game. I don't think there's anything that could replace even a small moment of, in my practice, me being very present with the kids in my practice. I would say that even in short moments, like our appointments, sometimes they're, they're as short as five minutes. But what I know is that in that five minutes, I'm giving them 100% of my focus. And sometimes that's playing and sometimes that's joking. And sometimes that's, you know, comes in different forms. It's not always just clinical and chiropractic, but in that moment, which is why I love your podcast is your focus on homeschool and alternative forms of education have that similar foundation that every child is valuable. Every child is brilliant on the inside. Every child is beautiful. And when you come from that place and you want and you're trying and you're interested and you're, and you're so focused on achieving that connection, once you do, it's something that they can't deny. You know, it's, it's a wonderful experience that I know I was looking for when I was younger and it's you. And I would say even today, to this day, the adults in my family or my, you know, my mentors along the way who took the time to understand, to hear, to see me, I think there's nothing in the world that replaces that today. I, I also think that there are no troublemaking children and uh, <laughs> there, is, there, 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 there must be a way for each teacher to get in touch with that child and completely turn them around. You're, you're that, saying, is 100% true. Yes, that is 100% true. Yes, that is 100% true. In my practice, so we see a lot of children in the United States, like we were talking about, one and two has some sort of chronic 
illness that sounds big. of those chronic illnesses. Many of them, many of them are learning challenges, whether it's children with autism or it's Asperger's or it's all these different learning issues, behavioral issues, oppositional defiance disorder, pervasive, pervasive disorders. I always ask parents, I always ask parents when they bring their children to me, I ask them, do you feel like your child in some way is gifted? a genius and always there's something that they're, that they're like, yes, like this is something that they do. And it shows me like that they're so good at this or that they're very interested in that. And I'll say, that's all I needed to hear. I just need to hear that you see that in them, but I'll always let them know at the very next statement is that they're no bad kids. There's no baby that's born. That's racist. There's no baby that's born that doesn't have love seeping from it. They may be crying, they may be upset, but there's no babies that's inherently bad. And what we know along the way, and this kind of ties into what we asked before, is that if babies are born through trauma, and if babies are born in a stressful, adrenaline, cortisol-rich environment, then oftentimes they start to behave as if they're always being attacked. They're always, there's always a threat around. And if there's always a threat and that compounds over five or six years, then their nervous system is always seeing fear. And if their nervous system is always seeing fear, then sometimes that's where a lot of those disorders will come from. That's I hundred percent agree yeah, with you. That makes sense. You're saying that we should heal from within. How can we work with a child <laughs> to help, to help heal within? It's, it's simple, right? It's simple, but it's not easy. And this is something that I've taught for, you know, or learned about for over 15 years. And I've taught this for over 10 years. There's two factors. Number one is the environment. We've talked about this already. How that child eat, moves, and thinks, what learning environment they have, what the home environment, what the social environment, all of it must be in alignment with what would express health and well-being the environment must be tailored specifically to that child. The other thing that I think chiropractic does uniquely, but there's other interventions as well. So I'm, I'm biased because I'm a chiropractor, but acupuncture is very powerful. Naturopaths are very powerful. Homeopathy is very powerful. A lot of these natural interventions will help um, the nervous system, will help the, that child adapt to the environment. The reason why I choose chiropractic is chiropractic is founded on the nervous system. And if the nervous system is optimal, the nervous system has branches and inputs into every other system, the endocrine system, the immune system, virtually every system is governed by the, by the nervous system. But when you help the body adapt, when you heal the nervous system, then a lot of times the environment, the environment changes at the same time then we see the optimal expression of what that child can actually do. Now, that's not very easy, right? Because then oftentimes it's, it's scouring um, through the universe and understanding which um, lifestyle factor needs to be changed and implemented and helped for the child. And it's very different for every child. However, children tend to be drawn towards things that will actually help them express more. So a lot of times it's not always convenient for parents, 
you know, but in many cases, when you give the child what they're striving from a very unique and very innate place to actually have in their life, then oftentimes you see what that expression is too. I like this approach. It's much better than medicine. Well, and, and that's pharmacy. the thing, right? That's the, that's the thing is I think it is a, I think it's, I think it's, um, one, very damaging, but I think it's very uh, disempowering for parents to go into a visit with whoever healthcare provider that they choose. And they say, hey, your kid has probably a genetic predisposition for you know, high functioning autism or ADHD. Here's Ritalin, here's Adderall, here's a stimulant, and they should learn better in school. When in reality, I think from what you're talking about, the whole system needs to be transformed where they need a healthcare provider that's going to see the child, value the child that a whole person, but they need an education process as well that's going to actually see and hear and value that child to allow for their optimal expression of who they are as well, right? Yeah, yeah. Thank you for this answer. You, you said that you have eight essential steps you do every day to stay present and productive in every aspect of your life. Can you share what are they and what do you recommend we should be doing daily to be in optimal form? You know, so, so this is important. Um, and this is something that I believe children um, can learn. I think they can learn very early on. And what I'll tell you is that in this very room that I'm in right now, every morning, virtually every morning since my daughter has been born, I do Wim Hof breathing behind me. I do Wim Hof breathing. And now to the point where she knows like the whole rhythm, when I go to get her upstairs, she's, I said, do you want to go downstairs? And she goes, <sighs> right. And she is 15 months right now. And so it becomes very important how we model health to our kids, right? The eight things that I look at are in four categories. I call them body. So physical body, it's how you nourish and it's how you exercise. And so every day I will do some sort of physical activity. And some days I'll be honest with you, I'm a, I'm a, my, my daughter's very young. Sometimes I don't have a lot of time. And sometimes it's 10 sun salutations and 10 pull-ups. And that takes me maybe three or four minutes, right? Sometimes it's that short. Otherwise, I'll do maybe a 20 or 30 minute workout that will help my body get my blood pressure up, get my sweat going. The nourish part for me, and this could be for anybody else. It could be anything else. For me, it's a smoothie. I always do a green smoothie every day. Um, the blender that I use here, I just bought a new one last year. My wife and I bought a new one, but I had that one for 11 years. And I used it 90 to 95% of the days for 11 years. And then it, then it broke, right? The second category is being, and that comes down to your connection with yourself and your connection with whoever your framework of, of creator or, or the universe or all of the wisdom that surrounds us all. Right. And that comes, the two active steps are journaling, which for me is my journal is I use a specific journal. I use one. It's called the five minute journal. It's available in the United States. It's basically a gratitude journal, right? We know that gratitude um, in the United States, there's been studies that says positive psychology for 30 days rewires your brain. And if you re rewire your brain for gratitude, it heals and it starts to seek gratitude. The other part is meditation or prayer. And that's something that is unique to each person. And for me, sometimes it's just... Wim Hof. Wim Hof breathing takes maybe seven to 
10 minutes if you, you know, just do a few rounds, right? Um, the third category is called balance and balance has to do with family. And family for me is very simple, is we all have these phones and we all use them for different means. But before I do anything on my phone, that whether it's social media or work or anything, I send two messages. One is to my wife and one is to another family member that I choose to do for 30 days. Am I perfect every day? Not every day, but, but in most cases, I would say 90 plus percent, I do a pretty good job. But that message has no requirement for return, right? So the message is always gonna be one of love, one of honor or of appreciation. And I'll say something to my wife, you know, and I've been doing them lately with my daughter. It's like, you know, Alana and I, we love you. We love you. And we're so grateful for you because of all the things that you do for us on a day-to-day -day basis that help us be a better family. And I just send it. Sometimes it's a video, sometimes it's a text, but it takes maybe one minute. And in that minute, it's a time for me to express gratitude without any sort of return, right? The fourth category is um, body being balanced business. And so it doesn't have to be business for everybody. It just makes sense when there's, it all has the same first word, right? But business has to do with your mindset around your purpose. And so this basically means for me is that we're always taking something in, discovering new information, and the other part is declaring it to the world. You take in, for, take in information and you, you teach somebody it. And so this is for me, like when I go to my office, every time we start a new workday, we sit for about 10 to 15 minutes and we talk about different things that are inspiring. We talk about the day, we talk about the patients that we're gonna see. And all in all, this is something that I learned from a, a specific mentoring group, but it's called the core four body, being, balance, and business. And each of those arms has two requirements, which on a day-to-day -day basis, you can actually keep score, right? Of how much you actually do for yourself. The reason why this is so important is on a day that I don't have time, this whole process can take maybe, maybe 20 minutes. It could be very efficient. On the days that I do have time, sometimes it takes a couple hours, you know, like I'll actually spend the time to do it. But at the end, what's the most important is that when you wake up on a day-to-day -day basis, we always have an opportunity to assess where we're at and actually make some new choices to create a level of energy, a level of inspiration, a level of peace of mind, a level of you know, health that I'll be honest with you, I can actually do a lot of this stuff before anybody else wakes up in my house. And so I can, and so for me, that's how I know that on a day-to-day -day basis, I can be the best dad that I want to be, the best husband that I want to be, the best chiropractor and doctor that I want to be, the best boss that I want to be. And in the end, what I know for a fact is that every time that I've been triggered or I've wanted to blame somebody else, I could go back and say, you know what? I didn't do this this morning. And I can always at least own my part of my life so that I can actually do something better the next day. Otherwise, it's an endless cycle when we start blaming others and we start getting triggered in life and stress, like there's endless amounts of stress that's out there for everybody. And so that's something that I've, you know, for the last, I'd say 15 years, I'd probably done at least an 85, 90% morning routine that I use as my way to actually just be my best.
Alabris, Alabris. I'm going to have some notes and apply some of the things. By the way, I'm doing Wim Hof as well. So I have, yeah. I have that. It's really, really good. Uh, in, in one of your talks, you're saying that uh, normalizing normal. Right. And I think we are, we are reaching out at uh, the end of the, of the show. What do you mean with normalizing normal and what happened that normal yeah. things like Humbert were taken away? You know, this, if you look at the research, right? If you look at the research on, have you heard of the paleo diet? Yes. Everybody's heard of the paleo diet now, yes. right? These hunter-gatherer societies, when they were indigenous and completely isolated from Western worlds, many people have talked about this, whether it's Weston A. Price or a lot of these kind of anthropological researchers. What they found in these isolated cultures is no sign of chronic illness, zero, like zero sign of chronic disease. And the reason why that's important is when they're in an optimal environment, they express health. Right. And so you extrapolate that if you believe that you go to the medical doctor and you have your child has ADHD, attention deficit, you know, hyperactivity disorder, and they tell you that, oh, that's just normal. Five kids at five or six, they all have this. What they're telling you is what's common. They're not telling you what's normal. Right. And in my world and all the research that I've done, I focus on those those hunter gatherer societies because we don't have different genes we have the same exact genes as them right and we've talked about that earlier and if we know for a fact that in a normal environment that they express normal health then normal is beautiful normal is brilliant normal is wildly vibrant health and if you know that i think it's one of the most offensive things for a doctor to tell a patient is that it's normal for you to have this chronic problem. I don't think that's, I don't think that's a healthy diagnosis, right? In my world, when we say normalize normal, we know that if a baby is allowed to be birthed, we call it normal physiological birth, whether it's midwives or doulas or chiropractors or all these natural providers that work in the birthing community, we call it normal physiological birth. And when when mothers are allowed to birth babies in those environments, the nervous system is then allowed to express normal health and physiology as well, right? And so our mission in our practice and our mission of our podcast is to just highlight all these different aspects of life that are actually normal. These providers that are providing perspectives that will help you understand and have awareness of what truly normal expression of health actually is. We would love to normalize normal because what they're calling the new normal today, I don't know if they use this phrase in your country, but they're calling it the new normal, which is masks everywhere. It's a COVID-19 vaccine. You can't ever in the, in the California. So, so, you know, and your listeners know, I live in the state of California and the state of California of the States in the United States is one of the most uh, oppressed states today, the highest level of oppression and tyranny from the COVID-19 experience. And our governor said for Thanksgiving, which is obviously American holiday, Christmas, that we could have no more than three families. The event must be outside. It cannot be longer than one hour. There will be no singing 
And if you do sing, it has to be less than a talking volume. Everybody has to wear masks the whole time. You cannot go inside at all unless you use a bathroom, but only if that bathroom has been regularly sanitized. And so you might be getting like, that might be a little crazy to you, but what they are calling the new normal in the United States is something that I will not accept from my daughter. I don't do, I do my best never to wear a mask around my daughter because she's 15 months old. At three months, babies have a visual perceptive field where they can actually see like even through the screen, they could actually see your, your mouth and your movements of your mouth when you speak. If you were to speak your native language, my daughter as early as three months old would be able to tell you're a foreign speaker. You're speaking a foreign language. Their acuity for facial expressions and their ability to understand their social development and their ability to connect at a deep level with other people is completely stolen from them. When, they're, when we're covering half the face. And in my world, that's not the normal my daughter will live in. It's not in any way something that I will subscribe to. And at this stage, normalizing normal is a term where we basically just say, hey, let's just normal, let's normalize vibrant health. You know, let's normalize, let's know, this is a little crazy. Let's normalize dying of old age, right? Where there's on the death certificate, there's no chronic illness, there's no disease, there's no, like on average, if you're over the age of 65 in the United States, do you know how many medications a 65 year old is on? Over 20, on average in the United States, over 20 medications. And so in my world, that's been completely normalized out here. And I don't, I don't allow for that for my daughter. I will fight to the die, to the, to the day I die for the normal that I believe that she lives today and the normal that I want her to continue to live in. I totally feel you and resonate with what you're saying. I love it. And, and uh, thank you, Stanton, for being on my podcast. I really love everything you're saying. I feel every single word you say, and it inspires me to get my personal health and the health of my family on another level. I it's love been, it. It's been an honor being on my podcast, and I wish you reach as many people as possible. Dan, can I ask you one question? Of course. What is behind you? Uh, yeah, this is celery. So I every, love it. Every morning, every morning, since 10 days ago, I started I drinking it. celery juice. I love it. The medical medium is very exactly. much. Exactly. That. I love it. Okay. okay. I was wondering so, if that's what it was because it's, it it's, it's a good background for you. And I really, uh, for those of you who are, are not seeing the video right now, Dan has a whole host of celery stocks behind them. And it's, I've been eyeing it this whole time, wanting to ask you about it. So I appreciate you telling I me. I have prepared for tomorrow morning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. Thank you for all Thank that. Thank you, Dan. And uh, we, we keep in touch. Thanks. I'm grateful for being included. Thank you.